The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Welcome to another Afternoons with Mike right here on the Shepherd Radio Network. It is my joy each and every day to be here with you and to present a guest. And today I have one in the studio. I've been very excited about this one. A little bit of the backstory. Jabez Park, I'd never heard of Jabez before. Uh, in fact, I I've, uh, just was surprised to see how the encounter actually happened with what back then was one of the people in our um, our whole team here at Mark Radio was having dinner at a hotel in Orlando and just struck up a conversation with some man who was in his mind a very friendly guy and he start, starts talking with him, finds out a little bit about him and then Dave Cobb, who I'm talking about here, contacts me and he goes, Mike, you've got to have this guy on your radio show. He's uh, a president of a seminary and he's just amazing. So I thought, well, that's all the introduction I need. That's all the recommendation I need. So we got in touch. I, I reached out to Jabez Park, Dr. Jabez Park, uh, and he was so gracious and uh, we've made this arrangement. He's back in Orlando from time to time, and he's here today. And it is so great to finally get to meet you face-to-face, -face, sir. Welcome well, to the program. Thank you so much, Mike. It's an honor to be here, and I thank God for this opportunity. So when you're there at that uh, hotel restaurant, and you're in town, again, you're, you're from Georgia right now, right? Yes. Yeah, that's where you live, and you'll tell us all about the seminary that you're part of up there in just a moment. But when you're there and, and here is Dave Cobb. Now, Dave is just one of the friendliest, nicest, real dudes that anyone could ever meet. What uh, were your thoughts then? Absolutely. Well, I was visiting Orlando. Uh, I work with a few different ministries and churches. Um, one of the churches here actually is where I grew up in uh, Green Hill church right near the airport. And, uh, it was evening. I went to the hotel restaurant, just hungry, and I was looking at the menu, and I said, I asked the staff there, hey, what's what's good on the menu? And Mr. Cobb, you know, he says, I would recommend the hanger steak. <laughs> uh, That's it's, great. You know, it's, it's considered one of the finer pieces of meat, but um, the staff concurred. I said, all right, let's have the hanger steak. And... Uh, Again, as you had mentioned earlier, just a really friendly guy. Yeah, and yeah. even in simple conversation and first impression, I could just tell that he was so genuine. And we just started talking. Hey, what do you do? What are you doing here? And he mentioned, you know, the, the Mark Radio and the, the media stations that is involved with and the great ministry that you guys are doing in terms of testifying of the word. Uh, among many other activities. And I said, well, how about that? Because I also work in ministry. Uh, I'm a visiting pastor uh, at some congregations in Georgia. I work with several ministries around the world and as well as a seminary. And that's how we got started. That's amazing. Now, your family from Korea, yes. but although you were born in the States. So give us a quick bit of that story. Yes. Yeah, like. So uh, my family was originally from Korea. Uh, my grandfather actually, uh, when the communists were coming into the north, he ran away uh, from the Pyongyang area down to South Korea. And before the communists came, uh, Pyongyang, which is the capital of North Korea, known for its uh, brutal dictator um, dictatorship, its communist regime. Yes. But back before then, it was the Christian hotspot of Korea. Isn't that something? Yeah, it was the Christian hotspot. And when he saw the communists coming in and their culture, their order, really just decimating the Christian church in North Korea, he realized that he needs to go. So he came over to the South. He actually enlisted as a soldier in the South Korean army. Uh, he fought in the Korean War. And afterwards, uh, he actually had such trauma from the war, um, you know, the brutality and the bloodshed that he had witnessed, he said, I need to devote the rest of my life to saving lives. And he became a minister. 
Isn't that something? Yeah. So uh, he established several churches, had a family, um, opportunities for planting churches abroad came around. So he brought his family over to America. They planted churches in L.A., in New York, in Washington, D.C. That's where I was born. Okay, now your dad would have been so, born in the States as well? Uh, my dad was actually born in Korea. Okay, he was in yeah, Korea Yes, so he already. was in Korea. Yes, so my dad and his brothers were already in Korea. So they emigrated together mm-hmm. to the States, and All that's when I was born. Over. Yeah. Yes. Um, I was born, and about two years after I was born, my family moved to Orlando when my sister was born there as well. Oh, well, yes. so welcome home to you. <laughs> it is home, yes. <laughs> that's on. That's just great. And, uh, you know, that part of North Korean history, it's been a long time since I've heard uh, even this kind of discussion, but to hear that it was a hotspot for the gospel. It was, it was. And, you know, it's one of those really unfortunate circumstances when you just see how the world develops uh, the dictatorship of Kim Il-sung, the you know founding president of North Korea, his family actually was a very devout Christian family. Wow. Not many people know that. No, I didn't. Um, they didn't know that, but Kim Il-sung, he got into politics and he, he realized that the reverence that people had for Jesus Christ, he could use that for himself to develop a cult of personality for his own political power and ambitions. And it shows that, you know, unfortunately, when people lose track of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and they have their ambitions out into the world, the consequences can be quite dire. Mm. So tell us about your own life. I'm glad that you were escaped from all of that. And boy, uh, the stuff that's going on, I know that my son-in-law has a real compassion and a heart and a burden and thinks about North Koreans regularly and would have it in his in a world thinking you can't go there but i i i know that if he could he would and just because he has a burden in a heart for north korea so that i'm glad that you were free from all of that persecution yeah and really you know uh credit has to go to that generation my grandfather yeah. who you know saw the communist tide coming and decided to move uh and i think perhaps the best thing we can do for North Korea is pray. Um, now, fortunately, like God does have his movement everywhere in the world. He does. There is an underground movement. Um, there is a yearning for the gospel, even in North Korea. And there are agents, there are, uh, I guess, passageways very discreet, of course, yeah. but there are ways where support and the gospel can even go into North Korea. We just need to keep continue praying for that movement. You know, I think there's this is a point worth bringing up here, Jabez. I, I think that in every, every continent, every nation uh, in those continents that would be, let's say, run by either communists or just dictators of, uh, of heathen, maybe, maybe just anti-God, uh, leadership, every one of them, the gospel, without a doubt, has a presence to some degree there. And like you think, even in the communist, uh, you name whatever nation you want to think of, we know at times the underground church can be surprisingly vigorous and passionate about God, albeit hidden because they can't come out and declare what they believe, right? Absolutely. And I think it's one of the things that we have to appreciate about the versatility and the vitality of the church by God's grace. Whenever and wherever the church is the most persecuted, that is where you find the saints who are the most fervent and devout. Now, that's a great statement right there, because the the reality of the gospel, he's going to make a way. Absolutely. He's going to have a people. Yes. And even in these countries, and I think, I think a lot of us Americans, I think what we tend to do is we look at the evil that's in the world. We look at the uh, these groups of like ISIS and these other terrorists organizations, and we have a tendency, wrongly, to group the whole nation, the whole population, as if they all are on that same side of the of the counter, and they're not. Correct. And on the flip side. We can also look at nations like America or the UK that have traditionally been labeled Christian. And we can also see that in many of the developed countries where people 
to just say frankly have grown up very comfortably. Their yeah. minds yeah. start looking at looking for problems where there really aren't problems. That a lot of Christian principles are also being lost um, from what are traditionally Christian nations as well. So whether you're in a developed country or a developing country, a free democracy or a totalitarian regime. I think what you'll always find in common is that there are those who are devoutly devoted to God, mm. and there are those who certainly are not or are anti-God, but where those people are and who they are and what country is often quite surprising. It is. I think you're right. And I'm surprised to find out that your grandfather, his history and going into ministry, I, it just reminds me so much of what happened in the book of Acts when persecution came. And, you know, they were all just kind of hanging out there until they weren't. Yes. And, and when the persecution comes, that horrible persecution that ended up with a lot of their lives being lost in the Colosseums and all of that, but yet it didn't stop Christianity from growing whatsoever. Absolutely. And it's funny you bring that up. I actually, over breakfast with another minister this morning, we were talking about the growth of the church as documented in Acts. Um, Jesus... When he ascended, he commanded his disciples to stay in Jerusalem until they receive power. And this, we know, is the day of Pentecost. Right. You know, the 120 in the upper room. Right. They were praying. The Holy Spirit came upon them, and it distributed as tongues of fire. Yep. And people from all over the world were able to hear in their own language uh, the prayers and the testimony of these apostles. And while they were in Jerusalem and the church was growing, Jerusalem also was under heavy persecution, the church in Jerusalem. And it was after actually Jerusalem was destroyed that the gospel of Jesus Christ was able to spread all over the world. Oh my goodness. Um, you know, as the apostle, well, <clears throat> then Saul, when he was persecuting right. the church, it was because of that persecution that the gospel was able to spread in the Palestinian region. And as we follow history with the destruction of Jerusalem, we can see the growth of the worldwide church. Now, how about that? I mean, you think about the irony of all that, right? Not only is it persecution that causes the church to grow, but the chief persecutor becomes one of the leaders of the entire movement for Jesus. And, you know, that is a great testimony of one, we really cannot judge how God works and who God uses for his work. Yeah. And two, even in the midst of the greatest darkness, we can certainly see, and even just in world history itself, but especially in the redemptive history of the Bible, we can see just how great God's redemptive and restorative works are. Wow. All right, there's so many things. My mind is, uh, I mean, this is so much fun for me because I, I feel like I am sitting here uh, on a hot summer Florida day, which we've had a lot of those lately, <laughs> where the, the temperature's in the 90s and the humidity is in the hundreds, it feels, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden you've got a cool drink of water. That's what I feel this is for a lot of our listeners today. I believe you're bringing us a refreshing drink of water, but that water is actually the gospel of Jesus. And, and I can't tell you how thankful I am to be able to have this fellowship where we can share in this together. Well, this is tremendous. Jabez Park, if you've just tuned in, uh, is my guest. Jabez, among other things, he's a pastor. He is also a seminary president. Uh, tell us about Berit. So Berit Theological Seminary, uh, it was founded by the Reverend Abraham Park, originally in Korea. So it was just a small church seminary established for the training of ministers. Um, it wasn't accredited, but it was acknowledged by the denomination uh, for producing uh, pastors. But as time went on, starting about 2007, the seminary had a vision to proclaim God's gospel all over the world. So uh, I'm sure you've heard of the uh, song some years back, Gangnam Style by Psy. Uh, modern listeners now, BTS is sort of the big uh, Korean pop group. There's something called the Korean wave where a lot of Korean culture uh, is making its way and appreciated all over the world. And among that, actually, uh, ministry from Korea is also spreading to the world. Korea, for as small of a nation that it is, it is the number two nation of sending out missionaries, second only to the United States of America. Wow. 
I don't think a lot of people realize that. Uh, most people do not. Many people do not. But it's just one of those things where you've got a small people, a small nation, but by God's grace, by worldwide interest. And again, not all of that interest is good, but in that movement, mm -hmm. uh, the gospel that Korea received and the gospel that had grown in Korea is now being given back to the world. Wow. Amazing. Now, before this segment ends, give us a quick story. You, your grandfather met the Lord. Yes. He became a believer. Yes. And he obviously shared that not only just with those in his congregation, but with his family, because ultimately you guys, you at some point, you have your day with meeting the Lord too. How did that go? Uh, yeah. So uh, as mentioned earlier, I was born in the States and I spent my first 30 years growing up in America uh, very much American. And it's one of those things, especially in Korean American households, um, when you have that second generation growing up, or you have a 1.5 generation who immigrated to America when they were very young, parents are just so busy living life, you know, keeping the lights on, mm -hmm. putting food on the table. Um, kids, quite often, they're left to their own devices with their friends, with their school, and they just grow up with very, very different perspectives in the world. Um, very different languages, of course, very different cultures, and there's a lot of cultural clash. Um, if not clash, then sometimes there's a cultural chasm. And I think not just Korean Americans, but any immigrant family, especially when they come to America, they experience some sort of thing. Um, my dad was an elder, my grandfather was a pastor, and I grew up not really appreciating uh, the, the faith that they had in the Lord. Um, I always believed, I always went to church, but I certainly didn't share that kind mm -hmm. of devotion. Uh, I didn't grow up, obviously, with the difficulties that my parents or my grandparents had. And I just kind of lived life floating by. But I went to Korea. It's like, welcome to America, right? Yeah, there, welcome right? to America. And, <laughs> right. you know, I, I probably <laughs> under any other circumstance, I could have lived a very okay secular life. Um, you know, I had a job, I had a career, but, you know, as careers often go, I was directed to Korea. Mm -hmm. uh, in retrospect, obviously, this was the hand of our Lord uh, leading me there, but I moved right next to one of my grandfather's churches. And, you know, he, him being such a devout man, me, not so much, I really felt ashamed, you know, being in that close proximity uh, to his own ministry. And I said to myself, you know what? I got to stop being an embarrassment. Um, I need to know more about the Bible. And almost on a whim, I enrolled in seminary uh, after my first year in Korea. And that's when God planted the heart of ministry in my heart. Oh, my goodness. Now, so people, uh, you just catch what he's just said. He enrolled in seminary even before the, the draw, the passion that he has now for the Lord before that happened. It's funny, a lot of people would never dream in America of joining a seminary when they weren't even really all that high on God, if you will, for that yeah, moment. Yeah, and in retrospect, I don't really know what was going on in my mind. I just felt so much shame about not knowing the Bible enough. Yet well, let's pick that up. I want to pick that part up <laughs> of right. his story, because whatever happened in that first year of seminary, seeds were planted, my friend, because you became a powerhouse for God, and I'm so grateful you're here. Jabez Park, Dr. Jabez Park is my guest today. We'll be back with him in a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike, and you're on The Shepherd. Pastors and financial leaders, do you need expert accounting or tax help? Do you have payroll or 1099 questions? Do you need a ministry expert to help you acquire real estate for your next project? If the answer is yes, yes, and yes, visit PetraWorldwide.org. Petra Worldwide has been strengthening ministries to transform humanity since 2007. Visit PetraWorldwide.org or call 855-481-9095. Palm Beach Atlantic University Orlando offers three distinct areas of study. An evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. 
Dr. Jabez Park is my guest today, and he is from the Georgia area. What part of Georgia do you reside in? So myself and my family, we reside in the Atlanta area. Okay. God bless you. (laughs) When I drive through there going back to my home area of Indiana and up in Kentucky, that's always a challenge. And I'm always often wondering, we, we feel like we deal with traffic here in Orlando, but boy, you double it down up there. Oh, it's very different. A lot more cars. The roads are more narrow and uh, it's just very, very busy. What part of the city do you live in? North side, south side? I'm in the north side. Um, Our family actually lives in the Duluth suburb area, which is a little bit north of Atlanta. Um, But uh, we minister throughout the area. Uh, The part of the ministry that I am in also has me going down to the Savannah area. Um, actually Hinesville, which is about 30 minutes away, but it's right next to Fort Stewart, the military base. Okay, sure. So we also partake in military ministry there as well. Well, when we ended our segment one, we were in that first little season of your life at the seminary. And you, you describe seeing the great impact your grandfather had on you, your grandfather, former military guy, becoming a pastor, and not only a pastor, but one with great passion for Jesus. Obviously, a lot of effectiveness in his ministry, uh, a, a kind of a, a seminary is formed out of that, and it's named Barit. Barit, yes. Barit, and that name has some real meaning, not in American language, yes. but I'll let you take over. Uh, Barit actually is the Hebrew expression for the covenant. The covenant. Yes. So when you go to Barit Theological Seminary, it's you're, you're learning the covenant of God. Yeah, you're learning the covenant of God. And our very relationship with God is a covenantal relationship. Yeah. So without understanding the covenant, you cannot understand your own relationship with God. I agree completely. And you know, I think what a lot of people can hear your story and r- relate to it because God begins to draw us. You know, the Bible teaches very clearly that it's not so much like a lot of the songs we've sung before and said, I've decided to follow Jesus. Well, we can only do that when he had called us to himself. Right, absolutely. He draws us. And that's what sound theology would teach. It's not like, oh, well, I made the, I've discovered God. Correct. You know? <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes we might think that, but behind the scenes, no, no. no he no, no, has no. called us and he has brought us. He has called us, he's brought us, and he, he drew you to that universe. Yes. And you really still at that point weren't where you are now with your commitment, with your passion for the Lord. So what were the, what were some of the things that you remember happening to you as you were at that university? You're hearing the teaching about the God and about the covenant of God. What was it that really brought you on in? So, So this ministry and this seminary in particular, there is a lot of emphasis on the Old Testament. Um, That is something that many churches don't really emphasize now. Uh, Some people might even say that the Old Testament is irrelevant. It's done away with, with Jesus Christ. But that's actually not the case. Not the case. Not the case at all. You know, the Old Testament provides the foundation for the New Testament. The Old Testament provides the foundation for redemptive history. The Old Testament scriptures provides the foundation for systematic theology. You cannot say that you are a all-round believer, a all-round Christian, much less a theologian, without appreciating the Old Testament. And I think that Old Testament emphasis, one, kind of took me off guard. Because a lot of us just growing up in church, hey, we're growing up in the New Testament era. You know, Jesus, you know, some people might say he did away with the Old Testament. More properly, you can say Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament. But in any case, we're in the New Testament era now. Right. So why do we need the old? Yeah. That's so what they said. There was a lot of that. I had that impression as well. But all my initial classes, uh, you know, it's survey of the Old Testament, emphasis on Genesis, biblical history of Israel, and the biblical genealogies. Uh, these were all my first classes in my first year of seminary, and it gave me an appreciation because it helped order a lot of the stories that I had heard. I just didn't know where they fell in history. I didn't know where they were in scripture. I didn't know, you know, where it related to 
how this sequence of events led to that sequence of events led to that sequence of events mm-hmm. and kind of putting all of that history together the history of the world just start just started coming together for me so going from creation and going from the uh, i guess the pre-diluvian era you know from adam to noah and then going into the patriarchal era era which is around the bronze age and going from there, seeing the development of the world in the ancient Near East, the empires of Greece and Rome, really what seminary did for me, I think what hooked me more so than the theological or the religious aspects were the historical aspects. It helped put a lot of the world in order, recognizing that history. And then furthermore, seeing how this world history testifies of how God has been leading us toward redemption. Mm-hmm. I think that was when I realized that I had to devote my life to God. Now, is it too simple to say it this way, that one reason why we have so many young people in the world today that are, are moved away from the church, they just don't know their history, right? Correct. And it's not just church. I think if you look at education in general and even society at large, there is this forgetting of history, forgetting people's roots forgetting the sacrifices that generations prior have made, forgetting the figures, the heroes, the battles, the losses in our own history. It causes a lot of people not to appreciate their lives now, and it causes a lot of upcoming generations to grow up in this world that is dark and without principle. Right. And without hope, without Christ. Right, right. And, and, and that's the real sad state of our world today. Exactly. People who do not know Jesus, who, who do not understand these things that so fired you up when you were there and you began to see an explanation and suddenly the whole track that you're on, the, this track called life starts making more sense Right. when you see the God's historical purpose. It is. And one thing that we realize now, or that a lot of us are seeing in academia, and this has been the case since the later part of the 20th century, um, and there's this buzzword called postmodernism. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the modernist movement really began in the Enlightenment era, where people said, you know what? Forget tradition, forget religion. We need to rely on our own logic. Like human reason is enough to explain all the universe. And we did that for a while. And when we got to the 20th century, people started realizing, wait a second, human reason is kind of unreliable. Not everything can be explained by logic. There's more involved. So that's one good thing that the postmodernist movement kind of brought along. However, a negative aspect that it brought was this idea that there is no absolute truth. Mm-hmm. It's like you can never figure out anything on its on your own with respect to itself in any absolute terms. Yeah. So truth then becomes relative. Yeah, becomes completely relative yep. to you and, and even subjective. Yes, absolutely. And in this environment, like narratives, like meta-narratives, like grand stories uh, that, you know, grand stories provide the foundation of worldviews all of this became irrelevant in the postmodern era. And people are growing up in this environment, not even knowing what modernism is, what postmodernism is, how we came to this movement, but growing up in an era where it says your worldview is irrelevant, it's only relevant to you, not relevant to others. Who are you to impose some absolute truth that might not even be true? And in this environment that people grow up in, that they work in, that they don't even realize, all of a sudden, in my case, you come to the Bible and you realize there is a grand story, that God is in absolute control. And just by the study of history, the development of mankind on its own, even in a secular sense, it shows us that, wow, we have progressed from point A to point B, we're going to point C, and there certainly is a purpose here, even if you can't put your finger on it, but Once you tie that in with the scriptures, it really brings this grand narrative into order and you see the amazing work of God. I remember when I was in seminary class at RTS, we studied the book by Veith called Postmodern Times. Oh, yes. And and that book talks about what you're describing here is that we have to understand 
in order to reach this generation of people who have bought into this, who have rejected old-fashioned values and maybe time-honored values about the gospel and all, we have to realize that not only do they reject our message, but they see the messenger as a threat to them. Absolutely, yeah. And that's one thing that we have to be very careful because uh, with postmodernism, relativism, subjectivism, everybody has become so defensive about their feelings. Yeah. And we don't want to invalidate that. We want to acknowledge how everybody feels. But at the same time, feelings, especially individual feelings, should not be the standard by which we measure truth. Mm -hmm. And that's something that the Word of God provides for us, that standard of truth. And it reveals to us how it is that God is actually trying to save us from our fallen state and back into our original state. I love the old saying that I heard years ago, the New Testament is in the old concealed. The Old Testament is in the new revealed. Oh, that is a wonderful saying. That is a wonderful saying. And um, you had mentioned RTS before. The professors of Reformed actually had published two books through Crossway, um, their surveys of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And if I remember their subtitles correctly, uh, the Old Testament survey book is called The Gospel Promised. and The Gospel Fulfilled. Yep, The Gospel yeah. Fulfilled yeah. in the New Testament. Yeah, that's right. Yep. That's exactly right. And boy, oh boy, I mean, people like Mark Dever, have you ever studied some of the stuff that he's done? Yes, I've read some of his work. Yeah, it's really good stuff. Absolutely. This appreciation of the old, I I had was one of my professors, Richard Pratt, who wrote the book, He Gave Us Stories, which is all out of the Old Testament. Yep. And, you know, growing up as a young man, what captured my fancy as a young believer would be the Old Testament stories. Yeah, and going back to when I started studying theology, it was this emphasis in the Old Testament. I literally started in the beginning. That's how the seminary curriculum was structured. And going from creation and by the conclusion of my studies, it's like seeing how God has already purposed the new creation. That to me was remarkable. Wow. And I think a lot of people think of this abstractly, But God is absolutely precise in his word. The word of God, the Bible, the scriptures, the 66 books that comprise the Old Testament and the New Testament, modern scholarship can say what they will, but they are absolutely infallible. It is the perfect word of God. And one thing that was really unique about this seminary was its emphasis on genealogy. So I'm so glad you mentioned that genealogies as something that we were talking about before we began today. Yes. And the, you have so much to say and the book that you brought in, boy, I love it. it. It's called the Genesis genealogies. Yes. And in it has this amazing chart right in the very beginning, the chronology of the patriarchs. Yes. And I did, a, I mentioned to you, I did a study on that years ago with my daughter when we started homeschooling her mm-hmm. in the mid eighties. And the, the relative sense that all of these relatives, if you will, right. pardon the pun, all, all of the relatives of these early patriarchs, they knew each other because they lived so long. Yeah, and I think genealogy is something that a lot of believers, even many seminarians and theologians, do not give enough attention to. Um, I'm confident of it. Yeah. I don't know how many times I've ever even heard a message about the genealogy. You know, outside of, you know, actually most other ministries, I think I've heard exactly one message that had <laughs> a focus on oh, genealogies. Actually, it was the New Testament genealogy in Matthew, yeah. which actually goes right. back um, to, you know, it relies upon the Old Testament scriptures in relaying that genealogy. And it was, I actually heard it from a professor at Reformed Theological Seminary, Michael Kruger. He is a professor of New Testament, uh, president of their uh, North Carolina campus, if I remember correctly. And he did a fantastic exposition as to why Matthew introduced Jesus Christ through genealogy, emphasizing Abraham as the father of Israel, the Davidic kingship, and really how the genealogy tracks and records the coming of the messianic king right all according to the promises of scripture yeah so matthew begins with abraham but genealogy begins with genesis and its nickname is the book of genealogies uh, genesis chapter 5 it goes from adam to noah 
Genesis chapter 11 goes from Noah to Abraham. Matthew chapter 1, it goes from Abraham to Jesus. Genealogy is actually the historical record of all the scriptures. So once I started studying this through Berit Seminary and just seeing how the biblical record is actually kept track through the genealogy of the patriarchs and how it coincides with world history and how that world history coincides with the Bible's redemptive history. Actually, I guess redemptive history would be even bigger since yeah. it's the progress of God's revelation. Um, and seeing how all of this relates to us precisely because that's how Jesus Christ came, that revelation really impacted me. And that was when I realized, oh, this needs to be proclaimed all over the world. Now, so many people, when they're reading their Bible programs and they get to the genealogies, it's so easy, and I understand it. I'm one who has felt this way too. It's like, oh my goodness, this is not relative to anything that's going on in my life. How am I... We forget in those moments that that is part of the inspired word of God. That Absolutely. God put there. Yes. And he didn't just do it to fill up pages. No, not at all. And it's for a purpose. Yeah, and the, the amazing thing about that a lot of people, when they go through genealogies, it's like so-and-so gave birth to so-and-so, and then it repeats. It's like, all right, well, you know, this is just too repetitive. Let me skip these pages. Yeah. Or, you know, they lived however many years, had however many sons, and then they died, and then it's just another generation of more or less the same. So because of that repetition, people kind of see that as irrelevant. But one thing about genealogy is we have to appreciate that genealogy is an actual genre in the Bible. And as you had mentioned earlier, anything recorded in the Bible is recorded for a purpose. So in scholarship, a lot of people like to deconstruct genealogy. It's like, well, in the ancient Near East, they had this emphasis on family. Um, you know, this genealogy is more a summary of however many years. It's not necessarily a continuous genealogy. A lot of people like to make comments here or there. But if we look at Genesis 5, just as an example, we have an exact record of when people were born, an exact record of when one person fathered another person, an exact record of when they died. Yep. This is all historical data. If it weren't for the purpose of recording historical realities, why include it at all? Mm -hmm. And that's something that we have to appreciate. And when you look at it as historical data, there's so many implications for us as believers. It's not just a testimony for the people in Old Testament times. Oh, this is the family heritage of Abraham, for example. But for us, when we see through these genealogies how the word of God and faith in God has been transmitted from one generation to the next, and when we track those years and see where they are in world history and understand what society was like at the time, we see the amazing resilience of believing families of families who put their faith in the Lord their God and how they're able to overcome the Dr. World. Dr. J. Bass Park we're up against a break here boy this is too good we're going to pick this right back up on the other side of the break this is Afternoons with Mike and you're on The Shepherd EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs with over 40 years experience EC Waters is a top trained comfort specialist earning customers for life with integrity no wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. Well, as the old saying goes, can you tell I'm having fun yet? I am. This is too much fun. Dr. Jabez Park from Barit is here he is, again, a professor, a seminary president. He's also a pastor. His family from Korea has a rich heritage there. Uh, he himself, uh, obviously, a deep love for the gospel. But it was the subject we're talking about right now that really turned his life upside down. Really, when he was starting off in seminary and gave him a love, and that's this thing of genealogies, of the historical sense of the, the plan of God and how the line of history, God's redemptive story, came alive to him and made sense to everything else that's going on. Is that a pretty fair summary right there? Absolutely. And I think it goes that we must appreciate the Word of God as God giving a love letter to us. 
you know, we are the we are his children who have gone astray. Uh, we have sinned. We are dying. We are in need of redemption, in need of salvation. Yeah. And in order for us to be saved, God has given us his word. Yeah. And that includes the scriptures, the Old Testament and the New Testament, as we have discussed earlier. But within the Old Testament, especially the biblical genealogies uh, that hold the mysteries of God's administration. Now, one of the things that we talked about before we began our program today is this thing about the Old Testament timeline of, let's start with Adam. Adam was, what, 930 some odd years, right? Yes, Adam lived for 930 years. Yeah. Uh, He was 130 years old when he had Seth. And after he had Seth, he had other sons and daughters, and then he died. Uh, he died a long time later. <laughs> yes, a long time later. So <laughs> yes. one thing we notice about the genealogies, obviously, is that the timeline that these patriarchs are living is completely different from our own. So we have to appreciate that Adam, who was originally created not to die, he was originally created not to die, yeah. but because of sin, he brought sin and death into mankind. He ate from the tree of knowledge that God expressly commanded not to eat. And it's interesting when you look at God's command in Genesis 2, if you eat from this tree, you will surely die. But Adam didn't die immediately. And when we get to his life and his genealogy in Genesis chapter 5, in the original Hebrew, it says, this is the Sefer Toldot. And what that means is this is the book of generations. So even though in our Bibles it might take up one page or maybe two pages, but the Bible calls this genealogy a book. It says that word, sefer, Mm -hmm. a book. So it means that the content of that genealogy is as significant as a whole book. So Adam lived a total of 930 years. And if we look at the timeline of when all his other children are being born, we see that Adam lived a long time with multiple generations. Right. Genesis chapter 5 carries 10 generations from Adam to Noah. And if we calculate the years, and it's in the book that I had brought, the Genesis genealogies, written by Abraham Park, and he calculates that Adam, the first generation, lived to the ninth generation, Lamech. They actually spent 56 years together. And if you calculate all the years of when somebody died or when somebody gave birth or when somebody fathered whoever, like you can see, wow, from Adam to nine generations down the road, Lamech, there were 56 years that they lived contemporaneously together. And this is all interesting as data. So you might be asking yourself, all right, well, what does that mean for me? That's all fine stuff, but how does it relate to my salvation? Um, Lamech is the father of Noah. I'm sure... Uh, Most, if not all, believers are familiar with Noah, uh, Noah and the Ark. But the thing about genealogies is because it follows such a repetitive form, many people get bored, but every now and then there's a break. There's a deviance from the original form. And that's the biblical author's way of telling us that we need to pay attention as to why this person or this generation is different. So we go down to Lamech, nine generations down. And he fathers Noah. But what's different is the Bible gives a reason as to why Lamech named his son Noah. Noah means rest and comfort in the original language. And Lamech says, this one will give us rest from the ground which God has cursed. So there's something that we need to understand. Lamech and perhaps all the patriarchs before him are recognizing that there is this curse upon the earth. And when was that? If you go to Genesis chapter 3, when God is rendering judgment and Adam and his wife are cast out of the Garden of Eden. Because of sin. Because of sin. God said to Adam, cursed is the ground. You see, you can sweat, you can toil, but thorns and thistles it will still bear for you. So this is the consequence that we experience in our own lives. You know, parents, you put in so much effort to raise your children, but still they don't appreciate you. They might even go out causing trouble like mothers, fathers, or anybody really wanting to keep the lights on in their house. Try to put bread on the table. You work so hard, but then 
what do you get at the end? It's like a lot of people ask, if God is so good, why do we suffer? Why do we experience all these hardships? And we must remember that in reality, we are sinful beings. The consequences of sin from the time of Adam, even until now, it has made its way. And Lamech realized this nine generations after Adam. Lamech did not hear the words of God when he cursed the ground, but Adam did. How did Lamech know that? When you consider that Adam lived all those generations, and even with Lamech, 56 years, is it not possible that Lamech could have heard it even directly from Adam's lips? From his lips. From his own lips. Because they were, they were contemporary to each other. They were contemporary. And the ancient Near Eastern culture at the time had a very strong and central emphasis on family. Mm. The, the patriarchal structure was very, very supportive of their own generations. And there was a mass respect for your elders. Yeah. So from Adam all the way down to Lamech, all those generations that lived contemporary with each other, would they not have learned from Adam? Would yeah. they not have heard from Adam? And would they not have taught that to the next generation? And that's the significance of Noah. I mean, it's one thing, isn't it, to hear something that your great-grandfather would have said, that he said, and it's reported that he said such and such. But it's another thing altogether. If you had the ability to hear your great, 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 great grandfather's voice. But that's exactly what we're talking about. And that's exactly what we're talking about. You know, even in our own modern day, people consider themselves so fortunate to say that they are able to see their, you know, grandparents two generations up, sometimes even three generations up. And, you know, we see a four-generation household. There aren't very many these days, but you hear about it. It's like, wow, that is remarkable. But over the span of almost a thousand years, to have nine generations living contemporaneously, learning from each other. And Adam, who experienced life in the Garden of Eden, but was cast out, what stories would he have had to tell Mm -hmm. to the later generations? When you're seeing your son, your grandson, your great-grandson, your great-great-great-grandson, and they're struggling in life, and the burden is on you. If I had not eaten from the tree of knowledge, then we wouldn't be suffering. We wouldn't have to deal with the thorns and thistles of this earth. Oh, my goodness. But Genesis 3.15, in the midst of judgment, uh, God made a promise. You know, he is speaking about the woman. And as he's actually judging the serpent. So just to recap the story really quick, the serpent deceived the woman. The woman ate from the tree of knowledge. She gave it to her husband. He ate. And that's why we're in this big, dark mess of a world that we're living in. But in the midst of judgment, God is saying that there will be a seed that comes from the woman who will crush the serpent's head. Genesis 3.15. And in theology, I'm sure you're familiar, this is called the first gospel, the proto-gospel. And this seed of the woman, again, following the genealogy, let's fast forward really quick to the New Testament. Mm -hmm. When Jesus was born by Mary, Virgin Mary, who conceived by the Holy Spirit. So if you look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 16, it says, and again, this is another break in the genealogy. Before then, so-and-so fathered so-and-so or fathered so-and-so. But it says, Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born. You see, by whom? It is a passive statement. Yeah, it wasn't active. It was not active. It means that there was an outside force, an outside power, which is the Holy Spirit that brought this immaculate conception of Christ. The incarnation, the very word that became flesh, was an active act by God, passive in terms of Mary, but still a testimony that there is a woman's seed or a woman's child, in other expression, who will crush the head of the serpent. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Yeah. yeah. This is also beautiful and so incredibly interesting. And I think it's a lost art to so many believers because we're just, we haven't, we haven't uh, 
we haven't heard it like what you're presenting it so often, and it is something worth taking the time. Well, the writings of Abraham Park, um, he originally wrote the History of Redemption series in Korean. Um, I brought the first book here today, the Genesis Genealogies. Um, it was translated into English, published in 2008, if I remember correctly. Uh, the second book published the following year, The Covenant of the Torch, which really uh, describes wow. how Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph fulfill the progressive revelation of God's will. Um, these first two books really cover uh, the book of Genesis. Wow. Um, and it is based off of this uh, work, this theology, um, that we teach at Berit Theological Seminary, and our graduates and our ministers also teach in their congregations. Well, it's alive. You're bringing the Old Testament to life, and that's what we so, I believe, are hungry for and we need. And, you know, a lot of uh, people just kind of miss by that New Testament uh, gene genealogy of Jesus, and they miss over some things that I've always loved about the fact that uh, the, the Lord is not afraid to identify with even some failures along the way. Absolutely. Because there are people that are part of his line that had hard knocks in their life. It's not perfection. Yep. And if you look at the biblical genealogies and especially the genealogy of Jesus, hey, and you, yeah. you reference back to the Old Testament where these people come from, not mm -hmm. all of them are pleasant stories. That's exactly right. Uh, there's a lot of sin. There's a lot of corruption. There's a lot of death. And you but, think of heartache uh, of Ruth, yes, uh, who is also part of it. Absolutely. So it goes to show that God uses these circumstances where it seems like there is no hope, but what God does is he brings resurrection where there is death. Yeah. He brings hope where there is despair. He brings light where there is darkness. And the genealogies all testify of that. And how blessed for you and I now as believers where we can now go into the genealogy of Christ. Uh, you have just made my day, sir. This is so much fun, and I'm excited to get to study these books by by Dr. Park back in the day uh, when he wrote these, Reverend Abraham Park. Yes. Uh, and I am so excited to have had you up here, sir. Uh, you've got to come back. Oh, you must come back. Thank you so much for having me. I thank God that we were able to have this fellowship. I'm pretty sure that people who listen to this broadcast can get seminary credit someplace. So, so <laughs> we've talked about some deep things of theology here, friends, and I hope that you've enjoyed this. And give us uh, the website, how people can get a hold of these from uh, from Reverend uh, Park. So um, the books are available in Amazon. Um, they were distributed uh, through Barnes & Noble. You can make a request through them as well. So Abraham Park, it is the History of Redemption series. Okay. Very good. And and your website for Berit? So it is Berit, B-E-R-I-T dot U-S, Berit Theological Seminary. Dr. J. Best Park, until the next time you're up here, thank you for coming by. Thank you so much, Mike. And we'll see you next time, friends, right here on Afternoons with Mike. <music>